welcome to Intentionally Grounded. I am your host, Ryan Willie, along with my co-host, John Kesselring. Episode 37 features the offensive coordinator at William & Mary, Brennan Marion. Coach details his life's journey through adversity that saw him deal with injuries, homelessness, and ultimately growth and success at the high school and collegiate coaching levels. Coach discusses the influences in his offensive philosophy, the up-tempo and innovative formations that he uses, and the keys to relationship building at all levels. One of the fastest risers and most influential coaches in today's game, Coach Marion's story and perseverance serve as great examples for all coaches in our industry. We were lucky to have him on our show. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it'd be much appreciated if you could leave us a review on iTunes to help grow our program and share our message with a larger community. This episode of Intentionally Grounded is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practices by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send scout cards and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawn cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at www.goroute.com, that is G-O-R-O-U-T.com, or by emailing at sales at goroute.com. Or you can call the phone number at 866-777-1448. Episode 12 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Brennan Marion starts now. Coach, introduce yourself to our audience and discuss why you got into coaching. Uh, my name is Brennan Marion. I'm the offense coordinator at William & Mary College, also the quarterback's coach. Uh, what led me into coaching, uh, my playing career was cut through, uh, due to injury. had my uh, third, well, I had four ACL surgeries. But during my third ACL surgery, I got a chance to be around uh, kids um, at a high school program in California. And when I got around those kids, they really brought me back to life. And... Uh, you know, I always say those kids saved my life, you know, getting around those kids and just, you know, seeing what, what a coach really means to, to a player. Um, I always wanted to get into coaching and football, but I didn't think it would be at 21 so early, 21, 22 years old. Um, and, you know, that ultimately catapulted my uh, coaching career, being around those kids and helping those young men. Coach, you've endured quite a bit of adversity throughout your upbringing and playing career and ranging from the multiple injuries that you just noted. Um to your homelessness and, and during your time at De Anza College in California. Um, how difficult was it for you to focus on football during that time, and what impact has your experience had on your coaching style? Um, I think the biggest thing that, that I learned, I mean, I grew up in adversity, and uh, you know, one of the great things, you know, having a mom like I did, a, a tough single mom who always figured it out, you know, I think adversity is all about your reaction to it. And um, she always reacted in a way that, you know, made us keep going and surviving and figuring it out. So, you know, every time adversity hit in my life, I was able just to, you know, already know how to react and survive. And then, you know, as you get older, you learn how to do everything in a positive way and a way that, you know, influences and impacts people. So I think that's how I can, you know, help and mentor guys, you know, because everybody's faced with adversity, whether I've coached kids that were billionaires, you know, came from a foreign background, and I've coached kids that, 
lived in a trailer park or lived in their car with their parents had nothing. And everybody faces some type of adversity. So, you know, just teaching people how to respond in a positive way uh, to that adversity, I think, definitely helped. Coach, we followed you on Twitter, and one of the, your recent tweets you uh, put out was that um, in 2013 you applied for over 300 head football jobs and received three interviews and accepted one job, where in that job you only had 10 players at your first football meeting. So talk to us a little bit about that process for you and the emotions you went through during that search, because I think a lot of our coaches could relate to that exact type of feeling. Well, you know, ultimately when you when you get out of football and you get out of because of injury, right, um, you're kind of bitter about it. You know, at first I was kind of bitter about it, but as I was coaching, you know, it kept making me a better person, a better person. And I was, you know, feeling that I could really start coaching. So I was coaching the JV program at the time. And I was also uh, working at a missions job at a college that didn't have, you know, football. It was just a uh, Cogswell college was the name. It was a digital arts and animation school. And while sitting in there, everybody would ask me about football all the time. And the players that I was coaching they kept telling me, you need to be a head coach. You need to be a head coach, you know, get your own program. And, you know, like, and it just kept giving me the motivation to keep trying. And, uh, you know, one day, what, what made me start applying even more, because one day the, the boss had brought me to the, the office and he said, you know, you're pretty good at this. If you really take it seriously, you know, you can, you can really make a lot of money doing this, you know, uh, work this admissions job. And I, and I knew my heart wasn't in it. I was just doing it, to, you know, to take care of my daughter. And, you know, what, what all coaches do, you just take care of your family and, and you know, you find some stuff to supplement your income, you know, when you're an assistant coach. And um, when he told me that, you know, stop chasing football, and, and I just thought, man, like football has given me everything great in my life. Like I can't not be a part of football when we had that conversation. So, um, that's what made me just keep applying and keep applying. And, and eventually I got some calls back and, you know, I just, I, I walked out before I even accepted one of the jobs. I mean, I had saved enough money and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just walk out and really, because I've never been a half-hearted football person. I've always went full go. You know, when people say break a leg for it, I really broke a leg for it, you know? So I, I went all in and trying to find a job and find the right fit. I interviewed at one school. I could tell it wouldn't be a right fit. Then I flew to Pennsylvania on my own dime and interviewed at a school. Um, they they said they liked me, but I was too young because I was 25 at this time. Um, they said I was too young. And then a school in California that I went to, actually, there was less than 10 players. Um, there was probably about seven, I'd say, six or seven in there. And, uh, you know, the, the headmaster's kind of like, if you can – if you can create a team, great. If you can't, you know, we'll figure it out. And, you know, took that team from seven players to about 45. Um, we went to the playoffs the first year. And the reason why there was less players in the meeting, a lot of people don't know, there was there was like a hazing scandal that happened the year before I was there um, at the school. So a lot of kids just didn't want to play football. So I recruited the hallways. And my first, my first uh, coach's office was actually in a boys' in the boys' uh, uh, locker room. I had a little coach's office in the boys' locker room. And, you know, like, everything's came full circle now and, you know, just never despise humble beginnings. But, you know, that's where I started as far as being a head coach. Um, that was the first opportunity I got. And, you know, when you're young, you know, it's kind of like when you're when I was a player, when they told me I was hurt and I'd never play again, I was like, yeah, right, I'm Superman. I can get through anything. 
same thing with, you know, when I first took that job, I was like, you know, no challenge is too big. We'll figure it out. We'll get a team. We'll get it done. So, you know, I was kind of my emotions through the process was like, we're going to figure it out and find a way. And, you know, and, and we did. Coach, you've always brought a tremendous amount of energy and enthusiasm to your coaching staffs and have always been able to build a strong relationship with your players. What do you believe is the key behind the success for you when it comes to building relationships? Um, I think there's three things that I look at that, that everybody, that everybody, regardless if they subconsciously or, or consciously know that they're looking for. Um, one is the connection piece. Like, what are we, how are we related? Because I feel like we're all related. If me and you sat here and talked like, we'd have something that related us. Maybe a family member had cancer, maybe someone, um, you know, went to the same school. We know, like, we'd have a point of relation, right? That's the first thing. And then a vision. I always have, you know, people are always looking for, like, a plan, you know, like, what are we going to do? Like, been able to articulate that plan of where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish. I'm not a, I'm not afraid to dream big or, you know, say outlandish goals because I feel like, Nobody ever rose to low expectations, so if you don't have any high expectations, not too many people are going to follow you or want to do what you're doing. You know, anybody can do the the mediocre or the average. Um, And then um, the last piece is like the insurance piece of development, um, trust, you know, knowing that I'm going to have your back unconditionally. I've had players that impacted my teams that, that never went to college, never, you know, did anything special for me, but they knew I had their back. And they had impact on the team. I always, you know, whether you're the janitor in the program or the athletic director or president, everybody who touches the program has impact and influence. It's whether they, you know, choose to use it positively or not. So um, I think those are the things that kind of helped me wherever I've been. And then, you know, I've been surrounded by good people, um, you know, everywhere I've went and, and, and got an opportunity to learn. You know, I say a lot of people close their ears to certain people because they feel like, you know, a title, a name, a position, a school, a logo makes them more than or less than, you know. And I think that every environment I've been in, I've been able just to take notes, sit back and listen and observe my environment and get better. Coach, one of your biggest influences has been Coach Gus Malzahn from your time at Tulsa as a player. What are some of the things that you've taken from him and implemented into your own philosophy or offensive scheme? Um, I think the the greatest thing about Gus is like the the dream big deal. Like a lot of people don't know, like, you know, a lot of people maybe consider him as, you know, arrogant, I guess, or, or, or very confident, overconfident. And I think you have to, you have to flirt with that if you're going to be, you know, a tremendous leader. You know, he told us when, when I went to Tulsa, he told me that I'd be an all American, all conference, set all types of records and, you know, he gave me that, you know, like I always say, that vision that people are looking for. He gave me that, you know, right there on the spot. He told he told us that we were going to be the top offense and set all bunch of records. And, you know, he said that before it happened. So I think a lot of the times, you know, do you believe in people before they do what, they, what they're going to do? You know, which, which you know, um, setting those projections and then putting the work in. And then he gave, he gave me the confidence you know, like our offense isn't copied or or, or or mirrored by anyone. We we have the up-tempo thing that's kind of, you know, from Gus. But as far as what we do is from a play-calling standpoint, um, our, our two back side-by-side, side, like that's all stuff that I came up with working steps myself, you know, and, and my staff in high school that we, we came up with and we worked out on the board with our players and, and brought that. So 
you know, seeing a guy like him who created his own type of deal, you know, he found a base where he liked something from and then he came up with it in his own way. You know, he gave me the confidence to do that because seeing it work at the level that it worked at, you know, when we were at the University of Tulsa and obviously all the success he's had moving forward. Coach, throughout your time at Howard, you were your offenses were known for being multiple with the diverse formations, and you kind of just touched on that a little bit, kind of that like shotgun T formation that you came up with. What has influenced you to develop some of those things and just think outside the box and come up with some of those uh, unique formations and formations and play calls? You know, my thing is like a lot of guys tell me they they like certain offenses, they like this, they like that, but they have no clue why the person is running that, the process to the play, like, and me, even in my own right, like, when I first started coaching, all I did was just copy our playbook from Tulsa. I just ran the exact thing, but I get in critical moments in certain games. I don't know why that Gus ran this play or why he called this or why he called that certain certain times. You know, I knew, like, we'd go for our, you know, uh, touchdowns on first down and, you know, just different things. So I figured out, like, I need to come up with my own my own deal. You know, if I'm going to be um, a great football coach, you know, all the way down to like when I was a high school coach, I, I pretty much have a book of all the way, like teaching the players all the way to tie their shoes. Like, like that whole process of everything. I just kind of came up with my whole coaching book, my own process on how I would, you know, do things. Ultimately I want to be a college head coach one day, but as far as what we do offensively, it was just being different. You know, and sometimes that it, it really helps us in a lot of games and we, we score a lot of points and we put up a lot of yards. And sometimes it's hard as well because there's no other team running the looks that we run. So we've seen every look, you know, there's every team plays it differently. So sometimes you get caught in, oh, man, I never what, what are they doing? You know, just trying to figure out every team plays it different and, and learn off those things. But, you know, this is year this will be year three in the college world of running it. So. I've seen pretty much all the looks and now have all the adjustments and answers to, you know, what we've seen so far, but, um, you know, just, just trying to be different and create, create your own thing. You know, I, I've never been a, a copy and paste guy. I've always tried to, you know, I want to have a rhythm and a rhyme and reason why I'm doing, doing things. And, and that's what, you know, ultimately uh, got me to create that offense. Coach, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but you talk about how important tempo has been to your offensive success um, through both of your high school levels and also your college level stops. Um, how do you install practice tempo? And, and also, how do you communicate to your players what you're going to run within your tempo? Uh, the first thing with tempo is you have to create a mindset because for a lot of people, tempo is, you know, you'd be surprised, but tempo is still like a little bit crazy to a lot of people, you know, so just, getting them to understand like the mindset of how we're going to play, right? We create a culture first before we talk about plays. All right. The first thing we do is create relationships because if guys don't know, know you or they're not going to play hard, right. Then we create a why platform, you know, why, why we're doing this, why we all love the game. And then we create a culture or a mindset on gonna, how we're going to play. And then we install, you know, our tempo and our plays and, and that sort of thing. So when it comes to tempo, it's first, creating all those things. But when we talk about tempo, we're going to go fast. Like we do walkthrough fast. I mean, like everything is at a pace where, you know, in our walkthrough, a normal typical walkthrough, a coach will put up five cards. They'll get maybe five plays. They'll talk about them. They go slow. 
And for me, that's like falling asleep. Like when I went to the NFL from going from Gus Malzahn's practices to NFL practices, I was like sleepy, mm-hmm. you know. So, but for me, we're we're gonna go fast. So we do about thirty to thirty-five plays just in our walkthrough period, right? And then we're going on air. So we create that speed on air, and then we create it against the scout team. Then we create it against our defense. Then we just continue to create that pace, and we get unrealistic in practice. So the game is slow for us. So. We try to, you know, on Tuesdays we'll have a, you know, a 200-play practice, right? On Wednesday we'll have 140 plays. On Thursday we'll have 80 plays. You know what I mean? So we break it down and keep our guys fresh, but also at the same time they have that mentality of they're going fast. So um, it was crazy. Two years ago at Howard we finished uh, top, 20, top 25 in rushing in the country. We had six offensive linemen, six or seven offensive linemen, um, two returning starters, and we finished with like two fifteen to two twenty rushing a game or something like that. And we used and we went on air every day. You know, like people think that's it. Kind of nine on seven and inside run, and you guys were physical every day. And that really wasn't the case. It was our tempo. So what you you lack in size, you know. I always say when I get to Wisconsin, we probably won't have to go fast. You know, when become the offense coordinator at Wisconsin or somewhere like LSU, I mean, you probably won't have to go fast because you can line up and say we're running right here and the other team probably can't stop it, you know, if you if you design it the right way. But, you know, everywhere I've been, I've, I've had to go fast to be the equalizer of, you know, teams having better personnel because if a other team can't breathe, you know, uh, fatigue makes a coward of us all. So um, I think that's, you know, our strength. And, and until we're, you know, just huge up front, you know, an NFL – a line up front, I mean, going to have to go fast. Coach, many of our listeners are, are high school coaches, just like um, us two here. Um, one of the things that we, we've tried implementing tempo at, at various levels here for the last couple of years during our um, offensive, you know, maybe install time or just maybe in the off season. And, and if you're recommending how to communicate your tempo, we've seen boards. Um, we've also seen, you know, hand signals. What's been the most successful for you? Um, the first thing when you when anything when you're trying to get a, a team on tempo is coaches have to be better teachers and that's hard at the high school level because coaches are also working jobs you know have other things going on so um, when you're when you're talking about tempo is now you have to be a master on the board so when you get out on the field you can't have those stoppages a lot of coaches want to stop and talk during the the play and every coach standing on the field and you know, like you have to practice fast and then you have to correct on the film as well. Or if you see something wrong, you have to run the play again and run it fast. So those are the things that you have to work on from a coaching standpoint. Um, and then to answer your question, as far as signaling, I mean, we've used everything. I mean, I've used numbers, I've used boards, I've used hand signals, but to me, hand signals are still the fastest. Um, boards, um, you, you know, boards can get confused by different guys. Um, wristbands are the worst. Okay, so on the wristband thing, that's the that thing that kills your tempo. You might as well huddle. Um, so I tried every everything from the wristbands to the to the hand signal to the boards to the numbering system. Um, you know, hand signals still uh, happen to be the fastest because you know, kids. If you see all the cool handshakes, if you keep up with the kids, you know, the stuff is just it really really resonates quick in their mind. Um, so that that's been the fastest for me. That's great stuff, Coach. Um, kind of looking into the future a little bit in the next 10 to 15 years, 
What do you hope the future has in store for you, and what personal and professional goals do you hope to achieve? Um, I'm a football coach, Division One, um, and the main reason for that is not not a me thing. It's a it's a we thing. As far as you know, the greatest thing about being a head coach is you get to employ other coaches and help their their family. Like Coach London has changed my family's life. You know, giving me the offense coordinator title and work at a Division One level. So. That's, that's the first and foremost thing, being able to help other coaches out. Um, the second thing is helping players change their life, you know, from, a, from an educational standpoint. I feel like that if you sustain success, you know, a lot of people, you can have quick success in, in sports, you know, make a lot of money young, but then you need an education to sustain that money that you have, you know. So the, ob- the opportunity to get scholarships at that, you know, as a head coach. Um, and then ultimately, you know, as I'm a head coach, just keep climbing, you know, um, you know, I see guys like Mike Tomlin, Tony Dungy, you know, Dennis Grant, you know, like guys that were NFL head coaches, you know, hopefully, you know, I can make to that level one day as well. Coach, as we wrap things up here, uh, we have a tradition on our show where we ask our last question is, has nothing to do with football. Um, but just kind of lets us a little bit know more about you as a person. Uh, if you had to choose a walk-up song as a professional baseball player or a professional wrestler, what would your walk-up scene, walk-up song be, and t- you have to tell us why? Um, I'd say it'd be the Biggie uh, Juicy song. Uh, just <laughs> you know, that, that's that's the song, man. I mean, there's no, I don't care what type of mood you're in. You could be in the worst mood, and it don't matter what race you are. You hear that song, and it's just like, you know, life is good. Like, you know, you just start thinking about how your life is good. So that that definitely be the song. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a review on iTunes and help grow our program with others.